Welcome to the Be Rad Podcast. It's Brad Kearns. These are our sponsors. Male Optimization Formula with Organs. Brad's Macadamia Masterpiece. Perfect Keto Ketone Supplements. Carol Fit Stationary Bike. Organifi Superfood. Viore Clothing. And Let's Get Check.com Home Testing. And please visit the BradKearns.com shop page for my personal selection of favorite products for health, fitness, and peak performance with great discounts offers and now here we go with the show mofo around 25 percent of the protein calories you consume are then devoted to processing and utilizing that protein throughout the body in other words if you consume enough protein or more protein like rob wolf recommends you're just going to get stronger uh, be more active and recover more quickly what you get when you push yourself really hard in a long duration high stress workout is you get this endorphin rush at the end. So you feel fantastic because these powerful pain killing hormones are flowing through your body and boy, it's a sense of euphoria. But if you tap into that drug like high over and over, what you get is a super reliable one way ticket to break down burnout, illness and injury at some point down the road. So I'm encouraging everybody who's listening to just find something to do to put your body under load uh, several times a day. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the newly renamed Be Rad podcast. I think you will agree this is going to be a very rad episode because I shall hereby predict the future of health and fitness and how you can transform your life in 2021 and beyond. That's right. I'm going to talk about what's hot, what's coming on strong, and how you can sort through all this tips and tricks and advice that you're bombarded with, all the controversy that's floating around in the diet and exercise and healthy living scene, and take advantage of the absolute most important, most helpful advice and strategies for healthy eating, exercise, exercise, lifestyle, stress management, relationships, happiness, all that stuff. But on this show, I am going to cover nine super duper fantastically fun, important topics that I think will be great things to focus on as we move into 2021 together and try to optimize our health and our happiness and our peak performance. So here's a quick list, and then we will cover these in detail during the show. Number one is personalizing your dietary patterns and food choices. Number two is the fantastic fitness breakthrough of micro workouts. And number three, or you might even call it a 2A because it's kind of related to micro workouts, is in general, a kinder, gentler approach to fitness. Number four is evolved workplace and career dynamics, changing of the times, more people working at home with more flexibility and freedom. That's a good thing. And it requires some adjustments to our uh, motivation mentality. Number five is this <laughs> high-tech, hyper-connected, constantly distracted modern world, one of my biggest uh, challenges and pet peeves and favorite discussion topics to really keep driving this point home is the importance of exercising discipline, restraint, selectivity, and proactivity when it comes to our interaction with technology. So number five, technology. Number six, or maybe even 5A because it's related, prioritizing live social interaction and your intimate circle of family and friends over this uh, massive digital connections that we nurture and spend a lot of time on 
that come with more downsides and drawbacks and less supportive of our happiness and living a healthy, balanced lifestyle. So that's uh, social interaction, number six. Number seven is bringing your love relationships to the next level. And this has been a popular topic on the podcast episode, especially this series of shows with John Gray and the series of shows with Dr. Wendy Walsh. So it's a huge one and it can really make or break your overall health, physical and mental health. When you have a loving partnership, it's wonderful. John Gray talks about it can skyrocket your testosterone. And when it, when you have a dysfunctional relationship, it can trash your hormones, your mental health, increase your stress levels and profoundly shorten your lifespan right up there with the super destructive lifestyle habits like smoking. Okay, number eight is reprogramming your brain. And I'm super inspired after my interview with best-selling author and brain training expert, John Asaraf. So go listen to that show. And we're gonna talk about some of his insights and some that we've heard from other guests as well. And number nine, last but not least, is taking baby steps to achieve your goals rather than making these big giant grand and plans where you set yourself up for failure, disappointment, being discouraged, giving up. So taking tiny little steps that feel easy and doable and sustainable, and then building momentum, building momentum, and looking back a year later or two years later, and now you can call yourself a competent golfer or a morning person or someone who eats healthy and avoids junk food because you took baby steps that were easy and sustainable. There you go. One through nine. So let's kick it right in with number one, personalizing your dietary patterns and food choices. And I'm not talking about all the fancy breaking science and things like the ability to uh, pay a lot of money to test the composition of your intestinal microbiome or do a bunch of genetic testing and get uh, spit out a dietary recommendation based on that. I don't see that as having a huge life-changing potential yet. It's really exciting to see the continued progress in that area. And these things can, of course, help right away. But I'm more talking about uh, your own intuition and applying uh, trial and error and experimentation and evaluation to your dietary choices. Uh, there is some great technology. I think the continuous glucose monitor is one of my favorite, uh, where you slap the patch on your arm. I did a show with uh, NutriSense nurse Kara Collier, and also another show with Levels Health co-founder Dr. Casey Means. They're both uh, promoting this continuous glucose monitor technology and software to help you along the way. Uh, but this has been a really great breakthrough that's now affordable for everybody. And you can see uh, not just what your food choices and mealtimes, uh, what effect they have on your blood sugar, but also your lifestyle behaviors. What happens when you get up and walk around the block after a meal or get enough sleep rather than insufficient sleep? If you're uh, training to excess and plunging into one of those overtraining patterns, how this affects your blood glucose in real time is really helpful to uh, inspire uh, behavior change, lifestyle modification on the spot. Okay, when it comes to diet and avoiding the controversy and confusion, the important thing is to start with some common ground that we can all agree upon. And I think look no further than ditching these processed modern foods. We call them the big three most offensive foods. And that would be uh, toxic refined industrial seed oils, 
uh, processed grains and processed sugars and sweetened beverages. And just cleaning up your diet and getting rid of the processed foods can get you a tremendous amount of the way to your lifespan, health span potential, uh, both long-term and immediately feeling better. Uh, my very first show on the podcast was with Dr. Peter Atia. Uh, remains one of the most downloaded shows of all time. And he gave some great advice at the outset. He says, you know, uh, the best thing you could do is just try to find foods that your great-grandmother could have eaten uh, and avoid the foods that, that didn't exist. And so... Uh, a guy who's at the very cutting edge of health experimentation and quantification and science, uh, giving that simple insight uh, goes a long way to helping you relax and realize that if you just get rid of the junk, you're going to get so far down the road. Atia said it would be 80% of your uh, lifestyle health potential just coming from what you don't eat. And that helps actually uh, clear up a lot of controversy and uh, magical stories from people who are, for example, promoting a vegan lifestyle, which, of course, uh, the people I follow and my personal experience uh, in strong disagreement with because you're eliminating many of the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet. However, anyone who departs from a starting point of the nasty, nutrient-deficient, processed foods-laden standard American diet is going to have a massive, fantastic health awakening. So if you decide to go vegan instead of go fast food and go frozen food, you're going to feel great. And it might last for quite some time. There might be a small percentage of people genetically that can thrive on that diet. Obviously, they're out there. And usually, these are the people uh, banging the loudest drum and trying to sell uh, books and and develop a following. They feel great. They feel fantastic. But it's a very high-risk approach when you're ditching the foods that have nourished human evolution for two and a half million years. Not to get too controversial, but just offering that simple insight up and going to the number one most rigorous and lengthy scientific study of all time, which is the evolutionary model of human and the hunter-gatherer diet that we evolved on. Uh, besides that, go ahead and eat whatever you want. But really, uh, cutting out those processed foods is the wonderful, universally agreed starting point uh, to get this right. Another place where we could probably find a lot of common ground and acceptance is that fasting with your body in a fasted state is universally agreed and scientifically validated to be the most efficient functioning of your body is when you're fasted. That's when your inflammatory processes, that's when your immune function, that's when your cell repair, your autophagy is all functioning at a heightened level. So your body works really well in a fasted state. And then of course, since you can't live your whole life in a fasted state, right? You have to eat and then you go and choose these delicious nutrient-dense meals. But for most of us, especially those who are trying to drop excess body fat and have been frustrated by the challenge over time, uh, fasting is going to be a great gateway to that ultimate goal of minimizing your dietary insulin production over a lifetime or uh, producing an optimally minimal amount of insulin to get the job done. Uh, Dr. Atia, as well as Sisson, are touting this point a long time that uh, the least amount of insulin you can produce over a lifetime to get the job done, to feel great, to perform, to recover, uh, that's going to be predictive of health span, longevity, all that great stuff. Now, there is so much nuance around fasting, and we went to 
great trouble in our new book, Two Meals a Day, as well as all previous books, uh, Mark Sisson and I trying to emphasize that this is not a simple strategy that you can just all of a sudden wake up tomorrow and start fasting in the name of health. Because if you're not prepared, if you're not good at burning excess body fat due to long-term high insulin-producing diet, fasting is going to be an exercise in high-stress hormone production because your body needs to get its energy somewhere if it's not getting the dietary carbohydrates that it's relied upon for years and decades. So getting good at fasting and doing it right and progressing steadily uh, from you know ditching the, the high-carbohydrate foods, maybe switching over to more nutrient-dense carbohydrates because you're still working on a carbohydrate dependency paradigm, and then slowly but surely uh, becoming more and more fat-adapted to where it's no problem to skip a meal, to wake up in the morning, you feel fantastic, you can do a workout, you can get work done, you can be cognitively focused without relying upon an instant feeding session, and then going through life on this regular pattern of sitting down and eating three meals a day on the clock because otherwise you're going to get tired and cranky if you miss a single meal. So getting good at fasting, a great goal for all of us, and it can really help you drop excess body fat when you switch over from carb dependency, uh, regimented meals to eating more intuitively, skipping meals, and letting fat burning come to center stage. Uh, One thing that interests me, and Rob Wolf spoke about this Uh, with great authority during our interview is that fasting is not as important and maybe not as beneficial to someone who is already lean, athletic, trying to perform and recover, has good blood work, no metabolic risk disease risk factors in the blood. And so then, since we know that fasting is a form of stress, right? You're starving your cells of energy and triggering a stress response in the body. That's why the anti-inflammatory immune boosting and cell repair processes get upregulated because your body is placed under stress, uh, an optimal uh, temporary form of stress because we know the next meal is coming somewhere in the next 24 hours or 48 hours or not too long to where you go into starvation. Uh, But fasting is a form of stress. So is an intense workout. So is jumping into a cold tub, right? So we have all these opportunities for hormetic stressors, hormetic meaning uh, brief uh, natural stressors that have a net positive benefit. Okay, so when we engage in hormesis or bring these hormetic stressors into our life, these uh, build our health, build our resiliency, as opposed to chronic stressors, which of course trash our health. And you can list uh, 20 of those in hectic, high-stress modern life. So when it comes to fasting, uh, the people who benefit most are those that are uh, trying to heal from long-term metabolic damage, have difficulty burning excess body fat, has risk factors in their blood tests such as high triglycerides, low HDL, uh, high inflammatory markers, things like that. And so I'm just kind of giving that caveat out there because it really got into my head because uh, I'm dabbling in all these kind of things. And I can reference back when I was first going keto and experimenting uh, with the ketogenic diet and testing my blood uh, several times times a day and mixing these meals and doing my high intensity sprint workouts, I remember a lot of times where I believe the pairing of a high intensity sprint workout 
uh, add in the uh, equation of an old guy trying to do this crazy stuff and trying to fast for extended periods and sitting down to meals that contain little or no carbohydrate, I believe those stress factors stacked up and didn't really benefit me. And what happened was I'd feel more tired. I'd need a nap in the afternoon. I wouldn't recover from my workouts as fast as I possibly could. And so there's where you have this personal experimentation coming into play. I think a great starting point is to say, look, are you happy with your current body composition? And if you're wanting to drop excess body fat, then you're going to look into fasting uh, and things like that. And if you're feeling great and you're just looking for uh, anti-aging benefits, uh, athletic performance and recovery benefits, then uh, we're just trying to uh, consume uh, a lot of nutrient-dense foods. Dr. Tommy Wood, one of my favorite podcast guests with his uh, two full-length shows and then my full-length show, analyzing and breaking down all the great insights he said. Uh, he kind of echoed the same notion that Rob Wolf shared. And these are two of the smartest guys in the scene and most accomplished, if you haven't heard of them. But both of them said they want their athletic types to consume a lot of nutrient-dense food in the name of health. And that's going to make you more energetic, more active, cover faster. Rob Wolf said, look, if you want to live longer, lift more weights and eat more protein. What an awesome soundbite from his show. And Dr. Tommy Wood saying the same stuff, that they're looking at their athletes that they counsel, and they're giving these uh, dietary reports like breakfast, two eggs and a half an avocado uh, with a little bit of berries. And Tommy Wood's like, man, eat a real breakfast, make it six eggs and a full avocado. You're an athlete. You need that nutrition. And so uh, let's uh, put all that together. And again, striving for your personal best experience, uh, but not looking at these black and white patterns like fasting is the end all. And the less you can eat, the better off you'll be. Uh, if you eat more nutrient dense food, you are likely going to find ways to become more active in everyday life. So it's not going to impact your body composition. Dr. Jason Fung's book, The Obesity Code, references a lot of interesting research that I went over and looked at when he mentioned the studies in his book. But when you consume more nutritious calories, not junk calories, but when you consume more nutritious calories, your body engages in an assortment of ways to burn those calories, become more metabolically active, such that, of course, it's not going to affect your body composition. There's a concept called the thermic effect of food or diet-induced thermogenesis. And this is where around 5 to 10% of the calories you consume are used to actually digest, absorb, and store those calories. So to, to process the food requires caloric energy. And protein has an especially significant thermic effect. It's believed around 25% of the protein calories you consume uh, are then devoted to processing and utilizing that protein throughout the body. So in other words, if you consume enough protein or more protein, like Rob Wolf recommends, you're just going to get stronger, uh, be more active and recover more quickly. And that's uh, another vote to get away from this complete nonsense and this complete irrelevance of the calories in calories out model. So I really appreciate Jason Fung's book for putting the science down uh, with this often referenced insight that uh, if you try to eat less food and exercise more, your body going to find ways to slow down its metabolic rate throughout the day and have difficulty dropping excess body fat. And same goes for the other way. If you eat more food, especially more protein, you're not going to automatically gain more body fat. You're just going to be more active. Okay. 
Hey, ladies. You may have heard me talk about Gaines Wave treatment for improving male penile vascular health and sexual function, and maybe you thought, hey, what about my needs? Well, Gaines Wave has got you covered with a revolutionary new treatment protocol called Gaines Wave for Her. As with the male Gaines Wave treatment, a skilled practitioner uses a handheld device to send low-intensity shock waves into your vaginal area to stimulate a healing response, promote increased blood circulation, and the growth of new blood vessels. After a series of 6 to 12 very brief treatments, which are painless but extremely effective, you get real results with Gaines Wave reporting an 80% success rate. Some benefits... You will revitalize your intimate relationships with heightened sensation and arousal and enhanced pleasure and satisfaction. Don't contemplate invasive procedures or uncomfortable medical treatments. Regain confidence and reclaim your sexuality with Gaines Wave for her. You visit the website gainswave.com, G-A-I-N-S-W-A-V-E.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area. You complete a series of treatments and the beneficial effects will last for a long time, especially if you eat and exercise well to promote overall vascular health. It's a tune-up for your equipment. So please visit gainswave.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area and take advantage of of my special promo that you'll mention when you find your local practitioner. Buy six treatments and get one free. So uh, figure it out for yourself. Uh, Most people find a way to get enough protein unless they're on a crazy freak restrictive diet like a vegan diet. But most of us have built-in appetite sensors and cravings and things like that that guide us to consuming an adequate amount of protein. But if you're trying to go for performance goals, you can probably experiment with uh, eating additional meals. And if you're on that low-carb pattern, if you're a keto fan, primal paleo for a long time, uh, a lot of times your appetite is regulated because you're not spiking blood glucose with these high carb meals and flooding the system with insulin. So sometimes it goes beyond uh, feeling hungry, starving, but just uh, strategically consuming nutritious food so you can be uh, more energetic, more active as an athletic person. But back to the very common goal of trying to drop excess body fat. Fasting can be the centerpiece of that strategy. And I think the practice of when, W-H-E-N, when hunger ensues naturally, is a really simple way to kick off this commitment to fasting. So you wake up, uh, you go about your business in the morning, and you wait to consume your first meal until you actually experience true sensations of hunger. And this is uh, pretty simple because if you are hungry and you're walking around at eight in the morning, uh, maybe it's time to uh, sit down for a meal. Now, there's some uh, circadian influences there where if you're used to eating at eight in the morning for years and decades, you're going to be hungry when you wake up eight in the morning. And you can kind of play around with that aspect by uh, doing some deliberate fast for a while and teaching your body that it doesn't need food at a particular time of day on the clock. Uh, but then uh, implementing this strategy gives you that flexibility where you're not going to risk overdoing it and making mistakes with fat fasting because you have that when in your back pocket, when hunger ensues naturally. How does that sound? Makes sense? Pretty simple. Okay. Um, It's also uh, comforting, I think, to realize that with your body working 
most optimally in a fasted state and you accruing all manner of these health benefits when you're fasted, or if you're going in for the ketogenic diet and trying to attain that ketogenic state through fasting and through meals that greatly restrict carbohydrates, uh, that's your best bet. And you don't have to fool around with these concoctions and going for the expensive antioxidant juice bomb, thinking that you need uh, this antioxidant boost in your diet when anything you consume by by caloric means is going to pale in comparison to just getting good and banking hours in a fasted state. So in summary, apply an intuitive approach here. Start with the when strategy, progress from there, and see what your personal goals and how they can align with your food choices by greatly emphasizing fasting or just trying to eat more nutrient-dense food and lift more weights, as Rob Rolf says. Okay, uh, the other big element of personalizing your dietary strategy these days, especially in the ancestral health scene, is how to optimize carb intake. A lot of confusion and controversy around this aspect of it, especially when we're departing from the ridiculous overconsumption of processed carbs that characterize the standard American diet and trying to do things right, trying to do yourself a solid by getting into this primal paleo keto carnivore sort of approach where these processed carbs are eliminated and then all of a sudden you're left with, okay, how many of the nutrient-dense carbs do I need to function well and thrive and reach and maintain my ideal body composition? Uh, some of the controversy is especially uh, focused on the uh, the female demographic because uh, dropping carbs and dropping excess body fat is at conflict with the female's primary biological drive, which is to be fit for reproduction. So the female wants to hold on to stored body fat more so than the male, where the male getting uh, lean and ripped and showing off that six pack is generally going to contribute to a boost in testosterone and a feeling of more energy and vitality than walking around with a spare tire, walking around with excess weight. But when the female's already trending down into healthy body composition, let's say under 20% body fat, and there's a goal to get down to 15 or 12 or whatever to get on the cover the magazine showing off the female six-pack, that's when you can uh, get into uh, trouble with some of your endocrine function, especially thyroid and adrenal. So uh, that's something to acknowledge. And female optimal health might be reframed from what we see on the magazines anyway. But in general, uh, optimizing that carb intake is of particular concern if you're someone like an athletic female who's trying to drop body fat when you're probably already healthy, as evidenced by your, uh, your fertility. And I don't care if you're interested in that or not. We're talking about uh, genetics and biology. So uh, that's what's going on inside the body. And those are going to be the main parameters that are going to affect your decision-making and your results with things like carbohydrate restriction. So a few variables to consider. Uh, one is the female who's attempting uh, overly stressful patterns by restricting carbohydrates when already uh, possessing reproductive fitness. Uh, number two, 
variable for carb intake is uh, performance and recovery for the athlete. Um, and then there's another variable, which is sort of a, um, a, a no man's land approach where you're going for this uh, ketogenic ideal, uh, these vaunted goals of, of being keto, and you're also trying to maintain uh, healthy exercise output. And so you're cutting carbs not quite enough to enjoy these wonderful benefits of switching over to being a ketone burning machine, uh, but you're not getting enough carbs to fuel performance and recovery like you're used to. Uh, this is talked about a lot in uh, Finney and Volek's book, The Art and Science of Low-Carbohydrate Performance, a great early book uh, on the, the earliest research and some of the most respected research on the ketogenic diet, especially for athletes. Uh, and so what happens is you're in this tug-of-war state where your muscles and your brain are both competing for the precious fuel sources of whatever glucose you are consuming and also whatever ketones you're making. And so what happens in this typically in an early transition phase when you're trying to uh, restrict carbs and get into the keto uh, realm is you can experience a decline in both uh, workout performance and also energy slash cognitive function during the day. So your brain's not getting enough energy, nor are your muscles. You feel like crap and it's kind of a bummer. So there is sort of a all or nothing approach to the point where if you really want to be adept at keto, uh, you got to keep those carbs down so that your uh, liver will start cranking the ketone production and you'll feel wonderfully clear and alert and energetic uh, in your brain power even though you're not consuming carbs. And you have to wait and be patient to allow your athletic body to adapt so that the muscles can get better and better at burning fatty acids to the point where they don't require a lot of glucose or a lot of ketones uh, to fuel most workouts. And that also entails working out properly and avoiding these all too common overtraining patterns where you're doing CrossFit four to five days a week, or you're putting in 50 miles a week as a runner or hundreds of miles as a bicycle rider and not giving yourself sufficient rest and recover in between these workouts. And you're not consuming that many carbs. That's just a big fat recipe for overly stressful lifestyle. So the way to do it correctly is as you're transitioning over to a ketogenic diet and really working on keeping your carb intake low for all the other wonderful benefits you get from ketone. And uh, oh my gosh, we listed those in great detail in the Keto Reset Diet. Uh, the book continues to be one of the best-selling books in the keto world. And upon reflection, now that the smoke is cleared, Mark and I both agree, it's a freaking awesome book. <laughs> so if you want to learn everything about uh, the keto diet and especially how to do it right and how to progress naturally and properly uh, to become a ketone-burning, fat-burning beast, uh, uh, grab that book and study it. But we talk about all the benefits of uh, uh, lower inflammation, better fuel source for the brain, reduced risk of disease. All this kind of stuff is so wonderful, but you have to do it right. So as you progress toward keto, we want to tone down our exercise output for a period of time until you transition over there successfully. So as you're changing your diet, you want to back off on the workout so that you're not demanding a lot of fuel uh, for at least a few weeks until you start feeling okay and feeling energetic at rest. And then you can start uh, up 
upping the exercise output because you're so good at burning fat and you're making plenty of ketones for the brain. Uh, so speaking of this uh, keto flu that you often hear about or the low carb flu where people say, don't worry, it'll get better. Stick it out. I know you're going to feel like crap. Uh, we are, Mark and I are strongly uh, in, in disagreement that this ever has to happen. And if you feel like crap from a dietary transition or in the midst of a dietary transition, something is flawed with your approach and we want to correct it immediately so that you don't have days of foggy brain output or crappy workouts. Uh, one thing you can do is put on the brakes, tap the brakes a little bit and uh, integrate more carbohydrate intake until you uh, start to feel comfortable uh, dropping it down. So not as quickly of a transition over into the, the keto zone and just looking at all your uh, stress factors in your life. Because if you're living an overly stressful lifestyle and then you go and try to clean up your diet or cut the carbs in your diet, um, it's not going to work because the stress factors are still there. And your dietary transition by definition is stressful because you're depriving your body of the usual fuel source of carbohydrates. So uh, just common sense here. And then finally, another uh, relevant factor, which is very common, is insufficient sodium and other electrolytes, but especially sodium. So when you're cutting those carbs and cutting out processed foods, as we talked about at the outset, you have a concerted need to increase uh, intake of natural, healthy sources of sodium, uh, such as uh, ancient sea salt, mineral salt, Himalayan pink salt, uh, not the iodized salt, but the natural salt that contains uh, dozens of other awesome uh, vitamins, minerals, micronutrients. So adding salt, toning down the stress output in life and toning down uh, the exercise output while you're transitioning. Uh, these are all relevant factors. So uh, when it comes to uh, optimizing carbon take. So this is kind of my summary or my takeaway here to summarize the section. Um, if you're in that category of wanting to perform and recover optimally and wondering uh, how many carbs to consume, uh, why don't you try timing them around your most challenging workouts? And I'm not talking about before. I think that's kind of nonsense where people say, yeah, take a dose of 20 grams before you go to the gym and you'll feel so much better. I've never had any uh, sense that that's relevant. Your body should be ready to go and perform a workout beforehand. Uh, we know from the FASTER study that the human can replenish glycogen without consuming many dietary carbs through other assorted means. Pretty fantastic, phenomenal insight. So this carbo-loading uh, uh, paradigm that we've thought about for decades has now been shattered and the world of fat-adapted training is upon us. Uh, anyway, um, if you want to target your carb intake after those high-intensity or prolonged workouts, that is probably the uh, best strategy to start out with. So that ensures that you... Uh, recover and replenish glycogen after these tough workouts, replenish glycogen the easy way, right? The most efficient and direct way and uh, don't have these uh, these multiplied stress factors of working out hard and then fasting for hours and putting it all together and kind of uh, crapping out 36 to 48 hours later, which I'm so familiar with. I love Ben Greenfield's take on this, the ultimate biohacker and author machine of the planet over at Ben 
in Greenfield Fitness. And what he does is he, of course, trains very hard. He was a professional uh, obstacle course racer and did a lot of Ironman distance racing. And he still keeps in fantastic shape and uh, has a very big commitment to fitness. And he also banks a lot of hours in a fasted state or a ketogenic state. But at night, he says that he dedicates his evenings to uh, celebratory occasions with his young family, his kids and his wife, and they will go and uh, make concoctions in the kitchen. There might be a lot of carbohydrate intake involved uh, where he's enjoying himself, he's smiling, and he's also ensuring that he recovers from his uh, strenuous workouts that he performed during the day. So it's kind of the best of both worlds is his argument where he's getting the autophagy, he's getting the anti-inflammatory benefits of fasting, he's giving his digestive system a break, and he's getting plenty of carbs uh, to wake up the next day and uh, have his hormones and his glycogen and his athletic output optimized for another workout. And you know who else responds really well to this carbohydrate optimization? It's people that train sensibly. <gasps> Imagine that. So if you're doing your five CrossFit sessions a week, or you're doing your crazy long distance endurance miles on the road, or you're heading into the boot camp class on Tuesday, Thursday, and the spin class on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, with the same peppy, high energy instructor, over-caffeinated, pushing your body day after day, you're not going to do well with any dietary strategy, especially uh, a reduction in carbohydrate intake. So train sensibly and uh, strategically uh, include your carbohydrate intake. And that's just number one out of nine on the list. So I think this is going to be a two-part show, uh, but we'll get through this and keep to the keep to the highlights. But it's really important to uh, get those dietary concepts down and be as personalized as possible within the big rules. So number two, micro-workouts. I call this the fitness breakthrough of the century. And I did a whole show on it. So I'm not going to go into huge detail here. I strongly encourage you to listen to that show. Uh, but there's so many benefits of micro workouts and the downside risk that you have when you're conducting these high intensity, these formal long duration, high intensity workouts that the fitness industry has been framed by for years and decades, thanks to people making income off of producing this programming, such as the spin class, such as the boot camp or the, the step or the, the straps or the bows or the arrows or all the things that uh, have been uh, sold to the public uh, with programming centered around it. So you could go and get a slamming one hour workout at the gym, the industry of personal training, where you're going to pay an expert for their guidance. Of course, you're going to have to last for an hour, hour and 15 minutes. Otherwise, they're not going to make a requisite fee for taking you through a 20-minute workout. So what we have here is a fitness industry predicated on struggling and suffering and no pain, no gain. Why has this happened besides the, uh, the income potential of people putting in long-duration programming? The other reason is because what you get when you push yourself really hard in a long-duration high-stress workout is you get this endorphin rush at the end. So you feel fantastic because these powerful pain-killing hormones are flowing through your body, and boy, it's a sense of euphoria. But if you tap into that drug-like high over and over, what you get is a super reliable one-way ticket to break down burnout, illness, and injury at some point down the road. So as we step away from these flawed patterns of fitness that have been entrenched for years and decades, 
we welcome to the picture the beautiful, bright, shining star of micro-workouts, which, as it sounds like, are brief bursts of explosive effort that put your body under nice resistance load or elevate your heart rate for a quick period of time to do something that challenges the body. And if you sprinkle these into your everyday life, you accomplish a whole bunch of different objectives that contribute to your overall health and fitness. Number one, when you break from prolonged periods of stillness, staring at a screen or doing what you're doing, to go perform a work effort with your body, you're contributing to your overall daily movement quota. And in terms of fitness, the emerging science is showing that more important than adhering to a devoted fitness workout regimen of formal workouts, more important than that is just moving more in everyday life. It's more important to general health and it contributes tremendously to your overall requirement to be a fit human being. So walking is the primary way we do that. But then these micro workouts are a wonderful balance to taking that 5, 10, 15 minute walk because you can do a lot in a single minute. So when you take a break from prolonged periods of stillness to perform a micro workout, you're contributing to your overall daily movement quota and you're getting an instant boost in oxygen delivery and blood circulation throughout the body, particularly the brain. So you're going to enhance your cognitive function when you return to your workplace, your work effort. And you're also going to get a boost in fat burning and avoid the disturbing metabolic changes that occur from even brief periods of sitting. Uh, research shows that if you sit still for as little as 20 minutes, you experience a noticeable decrease in glucose tolerance and an increase in insulin resistance. Translation means you get kind of uh, tired, foggy, you're not as sharp cognitively, your energy drops because you stop burning body fat. And pretty soon, if you keep at it for an hour, two hours, however long you sit still, you're going to be ending up uh, craving sugar, craving quick energy sugar, because your metabolic function is all thrown off by sitting. The human being is meant to move throughout the day. That's our genetic expectation for health. This prolonged sitting in a chair is completely foreign to the human experience. So micro workouts, sprinkling those in, they're not intimidating because they're so short in duration. I'll give you many examples uh, after I talk through the benefits. Hey, ladies. You may have heard me talk about Gaines Wave treatment for improving male penile vascular health and sexual function, and maybe you thought, hey, what about my needs? Well, Gaines Wave has got you covered with a revolutionary new treatment protocol called Gaines Wave for Her. As with the male Gaines Wave treatment, a skilled practitioner uses a handheld device to send low-intensity shock waves into your vaginal area to stimulate a healing response, promote increased blood circulation, and the growth of new blood vessels. After a series of 6 to 12 very brief treatments, which are painless but extremely effective, you get real results with Gaines Wave reporting an 80% success rate. Some benefits... You will revitalize your intimate relationships with heightened sensation and arousal and enhance pleasure and satisfaction. Don't contemplate invasive procedures or uncomfortable medical treatments. Regain confidence and reclaim your sexuality with Gaines Wave for her. 
you visit the website gainswave.com, G-A-I-N-S-W-A-V-E.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area. You complete a series of treatments and the beneficial effects will last for a long time, especially if you eat and exercise well to promote overall vascular health. It's a tune-up for your equipment. So please visit gainswave.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area and take advantage of my special promo that you'll mention when you find your local practitioner. Buy six treatments and get one free. The second one is the cumulative effect of these micro workouts over time elevates the platform from which you launch all other fitness activities and your formal prolonged workouts or your competitive aspirations, right? So if you imagine uh, one of my examples that you'll see on the micro workouts Brad Kearns video on YouTube is I have a hexagonal deadlift bar uh, placed in the side yard en route from the kitchen garbage can to the trash barrel. So every time I pass by this hexagonal deadlift bar, uh, it doesn't have that much weight on it. It's not a big deal. Uh, my rule is that I stop and do at least one set of deadlifts. So if I'm doing six to eight deadlifts, there's only 180 or 200 pounds on the bar. It's not like I need to warm up. It's not like it's a big deal that I'm going to write about it in my in my lovely training journal. But it's just part of life and it's part of my daily routine. I do it without thinking about it. And let's say I do you know one set, an average of one set, maybe four or five days a week. Uh, so in one set, I'm lifting uh, eight times 200 to 1600 pounds times five is 8,000 pounds a week times 52 weeks is 400,000 additional pounds a year, not even counting my workouts. So you can imagine, same with the example of my pull-up bar that's hanging over the closet door. And every time I enter the closet and other times too, right, when I'm, I'm doing a, a a uh, particular devoted micro workout. But when these things are sprinkled in over time and I'm lifting my body up into space hundreds or thousands of times a year, all my other fitness activities benefit from that, especially it becomes easier to recover when I do go out there and hit it hard. So that's the cumulative fitness benefit is just amazing. Uh, launching, elevating the platform from which you launch formal workouts so you reduce uh, risk of injury and breakdown. So what you're doing here, as one fitness expert says, uh, you're flying under the radar, or Pavel Setsulin, the noted uh, strength trainer, kettlebell expert, says you're greasing the groove. So you're keeping your body in fantastic shape without stimulating that fight or flight response that you can so easily overstress when you get into that typical pattern of working out with a gung-ho trainer or showing up at the CrossFit box four to five days a week or doing too much in the gym for a workout that lasts too long overproduces those stress hormones. They stay in the bloodstream too long and they have a propensity to cause breakdown, burnout, illness, and injury when you get in that type of workout pattern. But no one can argue that one set of deadlifts or one set of pull-ups in the closet door is going to uh, contribute to overtraining or anything of the sort. It's just going to have a phenomenal benefit without the downside risks that come with formal workouts. Uh, some examples as simple as 
as uh, standing in your your work cubicle where you have one square foot of space to use for workouts and you can drop for a set of 20 deep squats. And whoever you are, I don't care if you're super fit or a novice, when you get up to 16, 17, 18, 19 reps, you're going to feel that burn. It's a challenging uh, effort for your body, even though the effort only lasts for one minute. You can look on my Instagram and I demonstrate the things that I've been working hard to progress up to uh, during my morning routine. And that's a set of what's called the hover lunge, uh, followed by a set of the drinking bird. And these are the two hardest single leg maneuvers. It's kind of like the hover lunge is where you're just lowering for a squat on one leg. And the drinking bird, as it sounds like, is you have one leg straight and the other leg uh, goes up to parallel to the ground. So like a, uh, a oil derrick effect where you're going up and down on one leg and working on that balance, that mobility, and of course, uh, stimulating the muscles that are loaded during the squat and the deadlift. And and again, one of these sets, pretty difficult. I've had to work toward it for a long time, but the set only takes about one minute. Uh, but boy, if I can get those done a couple times a day, uh, day after day after day, without worrying about it, without thinking about it, without adding it into my training journal, and again, uh, or a new point, uh, without it compromising your readiness or your recovery, from the formal workouts when you do conduct those. So the ideas are endless. It's so simple. Uh, I like to favor the brief explosive efforts because that's a wonderful balance to uh, the prolonged periods of stillness inactivity. But of course, you can also uh, make a micro workout, a sequence of yoga poses that put your body under a little bit of challenge if that happens to be more like your goals. Uh, I just interviewed uh, Dan Vinson, the founder of Monkey, M-O-N-K-I-I. If you check out their website, they have these cool fit fitness contraptions uh, that hang off the side of a door and it give you a great chance for a micro workout. Same with the stretch cords. I've long been a fan of those and I'm most excited about the amazing fitness innovation called the X3 bar. If you look at x3.com, inventor John Jakewish, podcast guest, and he talks about why this is such an innovation in fitness because it uses this concept of variable resistance training where the further you extend, let's say if you're doing a chest press uh, you're pulling the strap, you're stretching the, the very thick elastic band to its maximum. So the most resistance comes at the point where you have maximum force production. The opposite is true for a weight where the resistance is constant. Uh, like my deadlift bar is 200 pounds, however, whatever height it's at, but lifting it off the ground is the toughest part. And as I extend higher, I have more power, but I'm still constrained by my ability to lift it off the ground. Um, anything so simple. Uh, Dr. Michael Rosine, co author of You, the Owner's Manual, that string of best-selling books that he wrote with Dr. Oz. He's the chair of the Cleveland Clinic Wellness Foundation, Wellness Center. Uh, he says, look, jump up and down 20 times a day and 20 times a night, and you will have a measurable improvement in bone density over your lifetime, something especially of concern to senior citizens where uh, loss of bone density, loss of muscle mass, and risk of falling is the number one cause of injury and death in Americans over age 65 is falling. So if you can reduce that risk of falling, you have wonderful benefits and uh, boy, avoiding a lot of pain and suffering. And what's a big deal? Jump up and down 20 times a day. How many seniors do you know that do that as a rule? Not too many. Why not? It's not too hard. It doesn't require a lot of uh, contraptions or uh, investment in a gym membership. So I'm encouraging everybody who's listening to just find something to do to put your body under load uh, several times a day. 
So put micro workouts into the mix right away. No excuses. You can't say you don't have enough time. It's a lot of fun. It's exciting. You don't have that sense of uh, dread as you might when you're pondering doing a formal long duration workout. If your time schedule is tight on a particular day or you're not really fond of suffering at the hands of your trainer and you know Tuesday afternoon he's going to put you through the mix this way. It's just much easier. You can do the whole thing with a smile on your face. And that's my pitch for micro workouts. So I called this one um, number uh, 2A, right? And that is a kinder, gentler approach to fitness and ending this struggle and suffer mentality once and for all. Um, I don't know what it's going to take to get all the way through there. There's so much momentum and there's so much uh, programming and marketing messaging, uh, urging and encouraging you to go and torture your body in the name of fitness. Uh, I'm amused to see the internet or TV commercials where uh, the person is sweating like crazy on their Peloton bike and then that big smile at the end or a high five with the people that they're working out with, like they've just accomplished a wonderful goal. And I guess because life is so comfortable and sedentary, there is something to be said for going out there and pushing yourself and challenging your body to uh, perform something that's uh, really grueling. Uh, marathons are pretty popular. Last time I checked, ultra marathons, triathlons, things like that. And of course, once in a while are working toward a fantastic goal for the summer that you want to climb the highest peak in your area or do something incredible, uh, go on a, a long three-day backpacking trip or do that marathon, ultra marathon, triathlon. That's great, but you have to have a, a measured and and sensible approach. Otherwise, you're going to plunge into these overstress patterns that so many people suffer from and cause so much uh, attrition in the world of fitness. So if you walk through the, the living rooms and office uh, walls of America, you're going to see lots of finisher medals, lots of frame numbers, lots of smiling faces with your training crew when you did that marathon back in 2009 or did that amazing hike up to the top of the mountain. But if the approach was overly stressful or imbalanced into uh, normal, reasonable everyday life and all the responsibilities that you have, uh, it's not going to be sustainable. So this is what we want to do is kind of uh, keep that stuff in the mix. If it turns you on and you want to put those goals out there, I'm a big fan of uh, you know striving for daunting athletic goals. But as a foundation, we want to just have these micro workouts and these uh, uh, simpler, less stressful workouts uh, as sort of your baseline. And so um, we're going to uh, borrow from uh, our wonderful, exciting upcoming book called Two Meals a Day, Mark Sisson and I, releasing March 2021. Uh, we have a section in there where we are talking about uh, flawed and dated conventional stupidity. These are the maxims that we've been honoring uh, for years and decades. We're going to reframe those into empowering new truths. Uh, in the book, we have some diet insights, but I'm going to go stick to fitness here uh, as we cover this uh, third insight on the list. Uh, so number one is this notion that some of the uh, advanced uh, fitness thinkers right now are talking about that cardio is actually a waste of time. Dr. Doug McGuff, uh, 
author of Body by Science, has a YouTube presentation called Cardio Doesn't Exist. Uh, I talk about some of these insights in a great video and blog post on Mark's Daily Apple uh, called Don't Jog, It's Too Dangerous, Part 1, and Don't Jog, It's Too Dangerous, Part 2. Or you can look on YouTube and type in Brad Kern's Jogging 2.0 and find that video. We'll have it in the show notes, of course. Uh, but this idea, the concept is that your requirements for cardiovascular fitness are actually quite minimal and can be easily achieved by a mix of simple walking and everyday movement, uh, as well as those structured cardiovascular workouts that are in the proper heart rate of uh, 180 minus your age in beats per minute or below. But also every time you push yourself with a high intensity workout, a challenging workout, you're getting an amazing cardiovascular training effect. Because even during the recovery periods in between your sets of kettlebell swings at the gym, or whatever you're doing, a sprint workout at the track, your heart rate is still elevated uh, vastly above your resting rate, at least double, right? Even though you're recovering and walking around the track in between uh, your sprint sessions or in between your jumping drills like I like to do, the whole entire 35 minutes that you're at the track or whatever you're doing is a cardiovascular training session, even though it doesn't look like that steady state cardio that we've been programmed to believe is the end all for fitness. So when you go into a gym and you see the rows and banks of stationary bikes and stair climbing machines and elliptical machines and people are watching CNN, oh my gosh, high five and kudos to everyone there for getting up off their couch and doing something good for their body. Uh, but if you uh, put it in this context, they might much more greatly benefit from putting their body under resistance load or doing brief bursts of explosive effort with long rest periods in between them to work that top end, to work that explosiveness and get all those anti-aging benefits from the adaptive hormones that flood the bloodstream when you lift a heavy weight or pull the stretch band to the maximum or do a sprint. And at the same time, you're double dipping, you're getting these awesome cardiovascular benefits. Uh, this is just natural. Now coming into uh, great attention and to the forefront of uh, fitness mindset, but I'm really buying into this. I totally believe it. It makes so much sense. And if you'll watch me on my video, uh, why I quit jogging, I just had an epiphany this year, 2020, that my daily outing when I head out into the, uh, the wilderness with my dog, it's a wonderful part of life. I love getting outdoors very first thing in the day, rain or shine, by the way, because the dog's always good for it. So I'm not going to complain if it's snowing or raining or cold or windy or hot or whatever, uh, I'm still going to get outdoors, commune with nature and get this cardiovascular training session that I could put the nice checkbox in my training diary and say that I'm, you know, cardiovascularly fit. But if you realize um, that the requirement is so low, uh, look on YouTube for uh, James O'Keefe's uh, TED Talk viral TED Talk titled Run for Your Life, but not too far and at a slow pace. <laughs> and what he's basically saying is that a couple few hours a week of cardiovascular activity is enough to give you an A plus in cardiovascular fitness. And then the rest of it, then we got to get out the report card and see how well you do with resistance load, resistance training, and explosive effort. What's your competency in sprinting? Maybe not sprinting on the ground just yet, but sprinting on a bicycle. Can you do maximum output and put your muscles under maximum load. And there's so many benefits to be derived from that and get cardiovascular in the background. You get it?
Okay, watch the jogging 2.0 video. It's really fun. And in short, what I'm doing, instead of that steady state, slow paced cardiovascular session, is I'm mixing it up by starting out jogging a bit to warm up and then performing a really brief sequence of jumping drills or balancing drills. Uh, and of course, these are a little bit strenuous. So then I have to walk it off and recover. And so I'll walk it off, walk it off. Then I'll start jogging a little bit. Then I'll head over to the tree stump or the, 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 boulder and I'll do a sequence of 10 vertical jumps up and down. Again, a high stress but very short duration output there requiring me to walk for a few minutes to catch my breath because I don't want this workout to kill me, right? It's just my morning everyday outing. But instead of a steady state jog, I get all these other benefits of balance, flexibility, doing the lunges, doing the hover lunges, doing the vertical jumps, doing the balancing drills. And I come back to my car, the dog's happy and I'm happy because I have a more broader application of fitness than just plodding along straight ahead or climbing on the stair machine in the gym. Okay, so um, let's also put into this empowering new truce. Number one, cardio is a waste of time. Number two, this uh, template of a formal hour-long workout, which is so common in the gym. Look at the schedule on the whiteboard. It's uh, the 7 a.m. boot camp, 8 a.m. spin class, 9 a.m. Uh, doing the, uh, the, the, the magic wands and the kettlebells. Uh, an hour is too long. It's too stressful. You're stimulating that drug-like endorphin high, but you're also allowing the stress hormones to flow through the bloodstream for too long of a duration. This will, over time, if you do this two, three, four, five, six days a week, promote chronic fatigue, hormonal imbalances, immune suppression, and finally burnout. So collectively, Brad Kern's popping off saying, if all workouts across the lands, across the world were toned down by 33% or something, if the CrossFit template workout was instead of 48 minutes or an hour, 10 minutes, it was dialed back to 27 minutes on some of the days and 40 minutes on the other days, counting warm up and cool down, of course. But if the energy output was shorter and more quality and more intense and explosive, we'd all be better off because we'd reduce that risk of chronic overproduction of stress hormones. Uh, related to this is the incredible new insight, the empowering new truth that you shouldn't get sore from workouts. Oh my gosh, imagine that. Are you shaking your head right now like Joe Rogan? Go look up on YouTube. There's a clip from Firas Zahabi. He's a noted MMA trainer. And there's a 10-minute clip of him talking about uh, how he doesn't want his athletes getting sore at workouts. And he's training world-class MMA fighters. And uh, Joe Rogan just about uh, had a cow when the guy said this. He's like, what are you talking about? I get sore every single workout. Are you talking about uh, 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 just for beginners? And Zahabi says, no, I'm talking about world-class athletes as well as beginners. We don't want to prompt muscle soreness in a typical workout. Dr. Craig Marker, I talk about him so much on the show. He had that landmark transformative article uh, found at breakingmuscle.com called Hit Versus Hurt, uh, trashing the, uh, the template workout of high-intensity interval training, which by definition is exhausting and depleting and kind 
kind of recalibrating that to what he calls high intensity repeat training, where you sprint or perform explosive effort for much shorter time than you might think and take much longer rest periods. So you avoid that cellular breakdown that occurs when you're trying to fuel the fire for maximum output for longer than say 20 seconds at a time or for not resting sufficiently in between efforts. And his article, his consultation changed my life because my sprint workout that I've been doing devotedly for the last 14 years, uh, what I would do because I had such great endurance background, I'm such a tough guy and an ex-triathlete, I would go to the track and do my sprints and I'd go all out and perform a really nice uh, 100 meter sprint, sometimes 200 meter sprints. And then instead of resting uh, like a normal person, I would just kind of catch my breath, jog around a little bit and prove my toughness to myself in the empty stadium by commencing another all-out sprint with only, I don't know, 15, 20 seconds rest in between them. And I'd do my eight or whatever the template was, or uh, two times 200, six times 100, whatever the workout was, but so little rest between these maximum efforts that guess what happens 36 to 48 hours later? That's when you pay the price for this cellular breakdown and this overly stressful workout where you're trying to perform explosive effort with insufficient rest. And I felt fine during because I, you know, was pumped up. The adrenaline was flowing. I was able to complete the workout. I was able to perform well, even on the, uh, the final, uh, sets of the workout because I was digging deep and going for it because it was such a special, important workout. But then what would happen is, uh, the next day I'd wake up, my calves would be sore to the touch. I'd have to limp around. I couldn't really do a proper workout for another two to three days due to the prolonged recovery time necessary for doing such a difficult workout. So when I transitioned to a myself to take what Dr. Marker calls luxurious rest intervals in between these efforts. That's when things started clicking. I could bounce back much quicker. Of course, my sprint performance was better because I had more rest on the fifth, sixth, and seventh effort. And that was a real life changer. So, and also much, much less muscle soreness after. So this goal of not getting sore, Dr. Phil Maffetone's been touting this uh, for a long time. You just do not want to get sore from workouts. Of course, you're going to get sore if you do something new and foreign. So even uh, the fittest specimens at the uh, at the corner of the gym, you take them out water skiing. I don't care how much weight they can pull in the gym. You're going to be sore uh, the first day after a water ski session because you haven't used those muscles in that manner. And also the eccentric contractions are the ones that promote muscle soreness. So that's like lowering the weight rather than hoisting the weight, uh, those kind of things. But it's also from overdoing it or pushing yourself too hard with insufficient rest, explosive performance that's lasting too long. And what happens is the science shows that the protein synthesis that occurs after you exercise, uh, the way that you recover and rebuild and get stronger, your protein synthesis is devoted to repairing damaged muscle tissue rather than the desired effect of a workout, which is to get stronger, fitter, or bigger in some cases if you're going for hypertrophy. So in other words, you have to repair the damage and spend all your energy doing that rather than going toward improvement with a workout that was challenging but not outside of your capabilities. And watch the clip uh, on Rogan uh, where Zahabi describes uh, doing pull-ups every single day and being consistent and working within your uh, capabilities at every single workout so you're able to build and build and build without interruption from the breakdown, uh, the uh, 
hormonal trauma, the immune system trauma that comes from these killer workouts that we've been so fond of for so many years. Oh man, I wish I'd uh, known this when I was a professional triathlete training with the other badass guys where we'd go out to the track and we'd beat ourselves up with these amazing interval workouts where we were so proud of hitting a good time on our 800 meter repeats or our mile repeats. And we were building confidence and feeling so accomplished and successful from doing such a challenging workout. But I'm absolutely positive certain that I left so much effort and potential on the training ground that I could have applied on race day instead. And so, boy, if you could just harness that competitive intensity, regulate it, moderate it, leave a little bit in the tank every time you work out, that's when you can become the best you can be and reach your potential when it is time for uh, competitive excellence because you're rested, you're motivated, and you're strong rather than constantly fighting and battling, on the, teetering on the edge uh, of getting sick or broken down. Okay, and uh, that is a kinder, gentler approach to fitness. And we have just killed, we have crushed those first three objectives on the list of nine. And that makes for a nice show. And I hope this helps. Uh, Please leave me your feedback, comments, podcast at bradventures.com and get ready for the ensuing episodes. We're going to rock each other's world as we proceed into the future, uh, honoring these nine tips to make it the best we can be. Thanks. Bye. Uh, uh. Thank you for listening to the show. I love sharing the experience with you and greatly appreciate your support. Please email podcast at bradventures.com with feedback, suggestions, and questions for the Q&A shows. Subscribe to our email list at bradkearns.com for a weekly blast about the published episodes and a wonderful bi-monthly newsletter edition with informative articles and practical tips for all aspects of healthy living. You can also download several awesome free ebooks when you subscribe to the email list. And if you could go to the trouble to leave a five or five star review with Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to the shows, that would be super incredibly awesome. It helps raise the profile of the BRAD podcast and attract new listeners. And did you know that you can share a show with a friend or loved one by just hitting a few buttons in your player and firing off a text message? My awesome podcast player called Overcast allows you to actually record a soundbite excerpt from the episode you're listening to and fire it off with a quick text message. Thank you so much for spreading the word. And remember, be rad. It's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. Hey, this is going to be one of my favorite commercials because I get to introduce you to the delicious, nutritious, life-changing Brad's Macadamia Masterpiece. This is a mind-blowing nut butter blend that will soon ascend to your number one go-to snack, treat, or accoutrement for anything from dark chocolate, a cucumber celery smear, or mixed in with yogurt, oatmeal, cheesecake, or with a spoon right into your mouth, heading south. Let me, let me, let me tell you what I created in my kitchen through whirlwind experimentation and 
and extreme sampling to my VIP product testing crew across the nation so far with 100% approval. In this beautiful jar, we have macadamia nuts, walnuts, cashews, the rare and precious coconut butter, coconut flakes, cacao nibs, real ancient sea salt, and organic MCT oil. Every single ingredient has been sourced to origin to be the very best we could find from around the world for the absolute highest purity and nutritional value. We run this product in small batches with a boutique family business in the Pacific Northwest, and everything is cold-pressed to preserve nutritional value. So if you like eating healthy, it's a dream come true for all those who are keto, primal, paleo, and vegan vegetarian too. I come in peace, my global healthy living friends. Masterpiece, that is. Try some now, and it will change your life. I promise. If you don't like it, send it back to me. I'll eat it. You can order Brad's Macadamia Masterpiece on Amazon. Simple, simple. Or if you're bold, daring, and adventurous, buy three and get a bottle free at bradventures.com. Buy six and we'll send you eight. Christmas shopping early instead of late at bradventures.com. Check it out. Brad's Macadamia Masterpiece. Uh.